Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. Today we are starting the final arc of season five of The Clone Wars. It is the Jedi Temple bombing arc, part one. Yes, very spicy. We're going to cover Sabotage and the Jedi Who Knew Too Much, The Clone Wars Season 5, Episodes 17 and 18. We start off with Sabotage, Fortune Cookie, Sometimes Even the Smallest Doubt Can Shake the Greatest Belief. So it starts off and there's a invasion of Cato Nemoidia, which, which is interesting. I don't know why we care about Cato Nemoidia, because the Nemoidians we have met are not very nice people. It's a very cool invasion. There's this starting scene. We uh, see how Z95s get out of the hangar. They have to fly sideways. And we also see for the first time the ETA-2 Actis Starfighter being piloted by Ahsoka and Anakin. Oh, it is very cool. Anakin and Ahsoka are rushing into the rescue. There is a very heroic scene when Ahsoka has to rescue Anakin from his fighter two seconds before it plunges off the edge of a cliff. It is deeply thrilling. And then R2 pops back up and Ahsoka's like, R2, where are you? And R2's like, eh, 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 eh. I'm here. It's very exciting, but it is all just to show that Anakin and Ahsoka were not present in Coruscant at the Jedi Temple when someone bombs the temple hangar. Mm -hmm. No one knows who it was. It could have been a terrorist. It could have been a separatist. It could have even been another Jedi. And that's what the rumors are saying. Anakin and Ahsoka are tasked by the Jedi Council with investigating purely because they weren't there when it happened. So they are sort of above reproach. In the wreckage of the hangar bombing, they meet Russo ISC, who is a very sassy crime scene analyzer droid. Mm -hmm. He warns them that there is a rumor spreading that the attack may have been caused by a Jedi. It is stirring up a lot of public sentiment against the Jedi and the Jedi Council. And when Russo and Ahsoka interview the survivors, they sense more and more of that sentiment building. But someone does come forward and tells them that they have a suspect for the bombing, Jakar Bomani, mm -hmm. who was one of the hangar workers. Outside of the temple, we see that public sentiment. There is a protest brewing. It's like the friends and family of all the injured workers. No more clones. Stop the war. It's very rehearsed. And as Anakin shows Jakar's portrait to security, Jakar's wife steps forward. Her name is Leda. And she's like, Jakar is my husband. He would never do anything like this. But all the signs are pointing to him. When Ahsoka and Russo play the footage of the explosion back, they find these pieces of wreckage covered in nano droids. Mm -hmm. And then they look up Jakar's file, and he was a munitions expert with a background in nano droids. So they finally find him. They find what's left of him, I should say. Only his hand remains. It's been, you know, discommanded from his body. He's making the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> And in his bloodstream, it's filled with nanodroids from the explosion. Yep. And Russo says, Jakar was the bomb. So there's an extremely tense scene at Jakar's house. They find more evidence that Jakar was behind this. There's a big hollow logo of a crossed out clone helmet 
which is deeply sus. This whole scene is so scary because he lives in a really shady part of town. So in this like Roach Motel apartment, the music is ratcheting up. That icon is coming from a red beeping data pad that Anakin's looking towards. And you're like, is it a bomb? Is it, what is it? It's like dark and shadowy and black Mm -hmm. and Ahsoka's like looking down at her little scanner and not paying attention. She makes it to the kitchen and she finds more evidence, which is that in the food in the kitchen, it's filled with nanodroids. Letta pops in while they're scanning the house and she is acting mighty suspicious. And then when they try to bring her in for more questioning, she escapes. When they track her down... She is sandwiched between two very angry Jedi, mm-hmm. which, like, she confesses everything. Yep. Relatable. I would just pass away on the spot. She confesses that she fed the nanodroids to Jakar, her husband, and sent him to work and set him up as a bomb. So we end the episode on a really uneasy note back in the temple. Leta apparently acted alone. It wasn't a Jedi who bombed the temple. But this is just another tick against the Jedi and against the Clone Wars. And the episode closes out on the Force theme, the Force theme music by John Williams, and it's twisted and corrupted. And then we end the episode, and it's very scary. And that's when we open up on the Jedi who knew too much. What do you mean scary? It's perfectly ended. Everything's all tied up. Oh, yes. Everything's Everything's tied in the knot. At uh, the Jedi who knew too much, which her- that title should win some awards for most ominous Clone Wars titles. I have some notes on that. Uh, courage begins by trusting oneself. So Leta Termond, we learned her last name, turns out to be the mastermind, and we cut to Yoda giving the eulogy for the five fallen Jedi, and he gives a very nice eulogy. We are luminous beings, and- but temporary vessels. Yeah. And Ahsoka and Barris are sitting there, and Barris knew one of the deceased. He taught her how to hold her lightsaber properly. She's very sad. So they're walking away, Tarkin and Anakin and Ahsoka and Barris. And Tarkin informs them that Leta has been moved as this is now a military matter. And so he, she's in military confinement, and the Chancellor wishes to remove the Jedi from as many positions of power as possible. Uh, So Tarkin gets aboard the elevator. Barris says, I've got to bounce. I have matters to attend to. Anakin says, Ahsoka, go be with your friend. Anakin joins Tarkin and Ahsoka runs off and they're talking about what if it was, what if it had been a Jedi? How would they feel? They have a really interesting conversation, but Barris asks if it's proper to ignore emotions. Ahsoka is acting really angry this whole time in front of Tarkin, um, to Letta, she's like, we know Letta's guilty. What are we supposed to do with her? They're having their meeting for the next stage of the war because everything's resolved, right? When Tarkin interrupts their war planning and says, Ahsoka, you need the prisoner has asked for you. So Ahsoka goes to the prison and she meets with Letta. She's disarmed. She has her comm link taken away. And she is led into this cell with Letta alone. And Letta's like, I was told if I needed someone to protect me, it would be you. If I ever needed help, you were the Jedi to contact. She says she was set up and that this whole thing was being led by a Jedi. And if Ahsoka can protect her, then she'll say who it is. And then this ominous music cuts out. You hear the force choke sound and Letta starts 
being lifted up and force choking. Ahsoka is trying to stop whatever's going on is waving her hands. They look on the cameras and they see all the guard cells and it looks like Ahsoka is force choking Leta. And the recording in that cell has mysteriously had the sound cut out. So you can't hear Ahsoka trying to help Leta. You just see her waving her arms at this dying prisoner. So Ahsoka does get arrested by Commander Fox, the leader of the Coruscant Guard, has very cool red armor. Tarkin shows up to question her and says, the sound wasn't working. I know you were upset. He grabs her face. He's very up in her business. He says, it had to have been you because otherwise you would have sensed another Jedi in the room who was choking her out. Anakin is also outside and he's trying to force his way in and the guards are willing to straight up die, like make an incident out of this because they know that Anakin can cut through them. But Anakin steps down. So Tarkin leaves. Ahsoka's alone. She looks up and there is a key card waiting in front of herself through the force field. And she's like, oh, master, you came through for me. She uses the force, lifts up the key card, escapes. As she runs along, she comes across a room full of clones who've been knocked out and her lightsabers and her comlink. She grabs all of them. She starts running because the cops are coming after her and they think that she's knocked out all these clones. She comes to another room and this one's full of clones who've been lightsabered. That's when she realizes someone is setting her up. So at that point, all the guards are saying, shoot to kill. She's running across outside this fortress. There's clones with dogs chasing her. There's helicopters chasing her. Anakin has shown up with Rex and they're chasing her. Anakin countermands everyone and says, we need to take her in alive. He keeps saying that. They're riding in on this helicopter and it's such a chase scene as she's running along. They're hunting her through this facility. Blasters, cannons, Mm -hmm. stun guns. So there's an insane scene as she's running across these pipes and there's hundreds of clones shooting at her and occasionally she has to deflect clone bolts, but most of the time she's just like dodging and rolling through them. At the lats, those gunships are flying by and they open the door and start shooting and she just dodges and blocks all of them. She finally gets fully surrounded. Anakin's looking there. He looks at her and there's such a moment of recognition between them. And she knows that she doesn't have a way out, that no one trusts her. So she leaps incredibly up in the air and cuts a hole in the pipe, dives into it and gets chased through this pipe system. Anakin's the only one who's actually able to follow her because she's quite stealthy. And she gets to the edge of this massive pit that leads to, you know, the bottomless depths of Coruscant. She's overlooking it when Anakin comes up behind her. And he orders her. He's like, put down your lightsaber, come back to the temple with Mm -hmm. me, make your case for your innocence to the council. And she basically says she's not willing to take the fall for something that she didn't do. She knows that he trusts her. And she trusts him, but she doesn't think anyone else will believe her. So she says, you have to trust me now. And she flings herself off of this massive drop. And we close in on her face as she is drifting away from Anakin, maybe forever. As she rides a ship into the seedy industrial underbelly of Coruscant. Ta-da! <laughs> That's the Jedi Temple burning arc part one. So there are a lot of little funny in-jokes in this one, a lot of homages and references. Yeah. Do you want to talk about him? Sure. Do you want to talk about Alfred Hitchcock? 
Right. So uh, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, of course, he wrote two movies uh, that had the same title, which was The Man Who Knew Too Much, one in the 30s and one in the 50s. So I believe all four of the episode titles in this arc are named after classic Hitchcock films. Oh, it's not after the Beastie Boys song? <laughs> no. Sabotage! No, Sam. <laughs> that would actually be so much more badass. Like, mm-hmm. that would be so much cooler. So that is very much the the evocative scene that we're setting the music it ratchets up the tension and then the final scene is lifted directly from the early 90s uh, harrison ford movie the fugitive yeah there's a lot of classic film tropes we've got the innocent person on the run there's very film noir lighting in these episodes oh yeah and i think the clone wars is really strong when it's lifting from all of these very classic structures and lighting techniques It also brings to mind a little bit of Attack of the Clones because the solving a mystery in the seedy underbelly of Coruscant is such a cool thing to see. Yeah, I will say things I really appreciated about this arc, seeing Anakin and Ahsoka in a detective story, Mm -hmm. very fun. Things I didn't appreciate, you know, Ahsoka being framed for terrorism. Yeah, the... It's interesting because they, I don't think they're actually very good detectives. When they're first called in, they're like, we'll find the bomber or make him pay. And they're like so grouchy. And Anakin puts on his extra grouchy face. And then Ahsoka puts on her extra grouchy face. And it's like, just solve the crime. Like, don't don't get so emotionally tied up in it. Yeah. I mean, we have seen some different levels of detective work in the Clone Wars so far. So we've seen Satine and Padme try to track down the chi- the child poisoner in yeah. the second Mandalore arc. We saw Lieutenant Devo try to track down uh, whoever attacked Baron Papanoida and mm-hmm. his family. And now we're seeing Ahsoka and Anakin try to track down a terrorist cell. Well, there's some other ones. Uh, we saw Lieutenant Devo working with uh, Padme to find the Senate murders. Yes. And we also saw, and I think that this is the most direct comparison, is Lightsaber Lost with Ahsoka. Oh, yeah, and Tara Sanube. And, and, and Tara Sanube actually is in this episode as walking very slowly through one of the scenes. But I would have hoped that Ahsoka would have learned patience, and it feels like Anakin is the one who's egging her on to solve this quickly. But... That's also Mace Windu and also Palpatine because they are continually called to account in front of the Jedi Council saying, what have you learned? And And it's been like less than 12 hours. Like you can see the light change in the Jedi Council room and like it was noon and now it's sundown. So they've had like six or seven hours to solve this crime. And Anakin's like, I had to change my clothes and take a shower. So not much, bro. I actually think Ahsoka, when she was conducting interviews with the survivors, with Russo, I thought she was pretty effective. Like, she had a sort of bedside manner because she's talking to these rattled, entry-level job-type blue-collar mm-hmm. workers who just got injured on the job. This yeah. is a big insurance claim for the Jedi Temple. <laughs> and she had a gentle enough bedside manner that one of the survivors felt comfortable approaching her and saying, I have a suspect. That actually reminds me of one of the most important homages is, first of all, Russo's full name is Russo ISC. 
ISC is CSI backwards. And yes. Russo is named after David Caruso, who is the actor who plays the lead in CSI Miami. And he continually, the droid and uh, David Caruso in CSI Miami, continually do the thing where they lift or lower their sunglasses as they're making a point or a punchline. It's very funny on a droid because he can do it without touching them because he had little servos on the side of his yeah. head. <laughs> Okay, so like I know that was a CSI Miami reference. Mm -hmm. I actually connected Russo the droid to Russo the philosopher. Interesting. Because I never, well, we didn't have cable growing up, so I never actually watched CSI Miami. So I was like looking up this episode and it's like, this is CSI Miami homage. I just know him from memes. (laughs) It was very much lost on me, but I actually liked this connection this headcanon to Russo the philosopher because mm-hmm. it it crystallized my sense of indignation in this arc because Russo, mm-hmm. Jean-Jacques Russo, the philosopher. With all sorts of extra letters because he's right. French. Yeah, because, you know, the, the second U and the third Z are silent. He thought that people are innately empathetic to each other, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that all of the distinctions that we draw between ourselves and each other are false, right? Every system we create to differentiate ourselves, like owning property, uh, having social hierarchies, it creates inequality and it destroys this common feeling that we have between each other. So like, for me, this was someone in the writer's room flashing this neon sign, like, this situation is unjust, this is a hoax. This is pretend. Interesting. And also, you know, Rousseau's like more famous for the social contract. Yeah. So I also see how the clones in this Republic military base think that Ahsoka has murdered some of their coworkers. Yeah. And they're like, you violated the social contract and now you have to be held accountable for your crime. So I see it both ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's a that's really my, cool uh, point. That's my daily poli-sci nerd uh, rant. Thank you for attending. I appreciate it. I also want to talk about Letta as a character. Oh, yeah. So she's very interesting because whenever we go to Coruscant, we see the CD underbelly. Like when uh, in the funding the war arc, Padme is talking about how her handmaiden doesn't even have power several hours a day. But meanwhile, we see the top of Coruscant and we see the beautiful Jedi Temple and we see these things. But when we look at these workers, we later learn that they are incredibly well vetted it's like a life's calling to work in the Jedi Temple. I love how subtly Sabotage especially drew this line of the Jedi have bad PR. Yeah. So the fact that people who want to work at the Jedi Temple have to undergo all of these intense rigorous examinations and it has to be a life passion. Mm-hmm. And then they have to wear these like regulation jumpsuits and they are not well compensated. I mean, I wrote down that... I think we forget sometimes how privileged the Padawans and the Jedi of the Clone Wars are. Mm -hmm. They don't have to live in a roach motel in the bottom level of Coruscant and like have to pass a million tests to do their job, right? No, although 
perhaps it's a blind spot because also the Jedi don't really have much. You know, they have like starships, robes, and lightsabers. And that's yeah, I mean, it. I know people joke all the time about how bad the food is at the Jedi Temple. <laughs> but it reminded me that Ahsoka is 16 or so. She's yeah. a Padawan. But she gets a military title. She gets to give orders. People refer to her as commander. Also, the Jedi have superpowers. This is true. So I think we forget that they are privileged and that there's an entire working class of Coruscant and of the galaxy who think that the Jedi are really out of touch. And that the Jedi are the ones who, thanks to stuff from the Zillow Beast arc, we know that the Jedi are the ones who take all the blame and the Republic military is the one that takes all the credit for the way the war is going. Yeah, the Jedi have bad PR. We have established this multiple times. I wonder if that is related to ethics. Hmm. So I have a admittedly well, but not fully calibrated moral compass. And I've been looking for a job recently because I got laid off a week before last. And there are jobs that are like, would you like to work for a PR firm or like a blockchain firm and I'm like I don't want to be part of that industry because I don't agree with like their methods as an industry and I wonder if the Jedi are like PR is a form of social and mental manipulation and because we can do that with hand waving we don't want to do it like through not hand waving we want to be more overt when we're telling people what's good oh absolutely i think the jedi even if they don't have a complicated reasoning and they probably do i think they believe they are above that kind of petty sentiment like sentiment Mm -hmm. changing so in the high republic books which takes place several hundred years before this the jedi are not centralized as much on coruscant there are several major jedi temples all throughout the galaxy and each one's pretty much equal it is interesting and perhaps a long-term sith project or just the general decay of empire that the jedi are now focused at also the governmental seat of power there are a lot of notes in this just a lot of one-off lines from various people of how the Jedi are the leaders, the Jedi are the leaders of the army, the like this combination of the Jedi working for the Republic, when that is not actually true, but yet Yoda and Mace Windu let it be true. And I don't know what their plan is. I don't know what Yoda and Mace Windu's plan for the Jedi moving forward is. They seem like they're sitting there with their hands tied and nothing makes Mace Windu seem weaker than this episode, Mm. which is so fascinating because he has a handful of lines, but the fact that he has to call back Jedi to solve this, he has to do it in a timely manner that rumors are flying and he can't do anything about them because he doesn't have a viable alibi. And like the fact that he has to come up with an alibi, these are all really interesting points. And it also goes to show why Ahsoka doesn't trust the Jedi Council. Mm. But on the flip side, she probably doesn't trust the Jedi Council because Anakin doesn't trust the Jedi Council. Yeah, absolutely. Here's something that freaked me out about the Jedi being centralized on Coruscant is that when they're attending this Jedi funeral, Mm -hmm. there are not that many Jedi in the room. No. So... And there's a lot of people who aren't Jedi in the room, like Tarkin, which yeah, I found totally. really interesting. Yeah, totally. So they're trying to fill up this really grand space for this massive funeral. Six Jedi is a lot of Jedi. And there's really not that many people in the bleachers. So as centralized as the Jedi are, it just makes it more obvious how few of them there are. Yeah. 
Yeah, because we've seen a lot of Jedi die in the line of duty recently. Adi Gallia, just the last arc. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen Jedi get knocked down like nine pins, the whole Clone Wars. And so now there are few left. Those that are there are dear. And the fact that a Jedi could be the criminal here is the the dangerous part. And that's also talked about when the uh, the softening of the blow of the Jedi Council saying, we think it might be a Jedi and Ahsoka and Anakin have to debate back and forth on how unthinkable that is. And Anakin's like, yeah, I mean, Dooku, Pong Krell, it happens. People change from one side to the other, yeah. which I think is a delightful bit of foreshadowing. There is so much call forwarding and foreshadowing in this arc. Uh, the opening scene is virtually identical to the opening scene of Revenge of the Sith. Ooh. You have two ETA-2 Actus starfighters flying along. One of them gets chomped on by buzz droids and nearly shot down. R2's sitting there fighting buzz droids. There's a whole bunch of ships flying along. They're doing something. And that is definitely what it is supposed to evoke. There's also some incredible music and cinematography and lighting choices, oh, especially yeah. in The Jedi Who Knew Too Much. The entire time that Ahsoka is in the military prison on her way to talk to Leta, the Imperial March is playing. Mm -hmm. It's just a little bit foreshortened, so it doesn't completely finish the refrain, mm -hmm. but it's just the Imperial March over and over and over again. Also, aesthetically, as we move into the prison, it looks imperial. If you grew up on the original trilogy and you have lots of scenes in your head of people running through hallways in the Death Star, because that's what that movie mostly is, you're like, oh, yes, this is imperial architecture. And it's Ooh. right there. The clones in there their helmets look more like Stormtrooper helmets than anything we've seen before. They're wearing red, which we later see in episode six, as what the Royal Guard wear. But also red and black are Sith colors, right? So it yeah. adds this ominous mm -hmm. undertone. I was going to say, there is that huge slab of stone in the prison yard, yeah. which is like the memorial to all the clones that have died in the Clone Wars. It's massive. It's, it's the size of a side of a large warehouse building, and it is covered in illegible writing and it's floodlit and there's rain and it's got this like i don't i'm not an architecture nerd mm -hmm. but i wrote down like gothic brutalist like this architecture is horrifying there's also very cool pictures of clone or statues of clone troopers that are like 40 feet tall which is an interesting thing as well uh circling back to light up because this is also part of the aesthetics of this episode so we're in this very dingy darkened room Letta is wearing, uh, I, I refer to her as sketchy hot because she's yeah, like. She's kind of like 2008 hipster hot. Like she's got this beret and this like sleeveless tunic. And a slightly very much over the top collection of face tattoos. Yes. Which, uh, you know, for me. And this is a product of my upbringing, but I see I see face tattoos and I immediately make, you know, some assumptions. Oh, I loved it. I, I thought she was very sketchy hot. Yeah. And then also the way she, uh, I mean, when she does cop to being an anti-war activist and to leading this attempt, you think that that's the end of it, but also you know it's not. Well, yeah, because when Ahsoka is speaking with her in the prison, Leta says, I'm part of a group. I'm part of a mm -hmm. faction of Republic citizens 
who believe that the Jedi have turned into warmongers. Yes. So even if she was acting alone, she makes it very clear that she's not the only person who thinks this way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, a couple years back, a lot of years back, I read a book called Green is the New Red. And it was about how after 9-11, there was this thing called sort of a, a terrorism writer. So there's writers for various crimes. Uh, if you rob a bank, it's like five years in prison. But if you rob a bank with a gun, it's like much, much more. If you beat someone up on the street, it's one crime, it's assault. But if you beat someone up because of the color of their skin or it turns into a hate crime, it's a hate crime writer. And basically all anti-war activism and all environmental activism since 2001, since 9-11, has had these terrorism writers added to it in that there's all these people who... You know, they put sugar in the gas tank of a uh, a tree felling machine and they get charged with terrorism yes. so that they go to prison for 20 years instead of two months. Yes. And the painting of anti-war activists as extremists is interesting because so many of these cases, it's someone who like they get arrested right before the bomb is about to go off by their best friend who's been in the CIA or the FBI this whole time and gave them the bomb making equipment and fully entrapped them happens over and over again seeing like it's not like anyone could get a hold of nano droid bomb stuff Except on the regular for a munitions expert with a specialty in nano robotics which makes it seem even more damning yeah well more damning but all right, so going through this thing, like at a certain point, the overwhelming weight of evidence starts to become unconvincing in and of itself. Yes, right? yes, yes. And so that's what happens with uh, Jakar Bomani. And it's like, well, he's a nanoweapons expert and his wife was feeding him nanoweapons. So it's obviously supposed to be like this tied up bow, but that kind of doesn't ring true. And then we move on to the next thing where Ahsoka definitely had her lightsaber taken away. And then like going through the security records, you're like, okay, it's weird that these were scrubbed and this was scrubbed. There's no sound There's no on sound. this recording. How did she get her lightsabers? Why did she beat these guys up but stab these guys? If she were able to trust the system, she probably would have an incontrovertible case that someone was trying to set her up. However, of course the system is untrustworthy, but the overwhelming weight of evidence against her is what changes her mind to trust her instincts and jump. Yeah, this is what Anakin has been teaching her for her entire tenure as a Padawan. Trust your instincts. Yeah. Think quickly. What astonished me is how quickly Ahsoka comes to the conclusion that she's being set up. Oh yeah, it's definitely as soon as she sees people who have been stabbed that weren't stabbed by her. And then the way that she the way that her thought process goes from I'm being set up and then analyzes all of the data against her, and she comes to the conclusion almost immediately, there's no way I'm getting out of this. Yeah. Like, that amazed me. Yeah, and it also goes to show that she is a 16 or 17-year-old girl. When I was 17, I was on the run from the law. I got arrested. <laughs> I got put away for a little on while. On the run from the law. I was. I, I was. I, uh, I committed a crime. And I walked five miles to the rain before the cops picked me up. And at any time during that, I was thinking of what I could do, what the weight of evidence against me was. All these calculations totally moved to the forefront of my mind. And I was thinking with such a, a dark coldness mm -hmm. throughout it all. And I certainly didn't make the right decision 
the right decision is every single conversation you have with a law enforcement officer begins and ends with, I'm asserting my right to legal counsel. And that's the only thing you ever say to the law. And if Ahsoka had said, hey, Leda, I know you want to talk alone. I'm bringing Inspector Devo in. I'm bringing a droid in to act as a lawyer. None of this would have happened. Uh, you say that from, you know, the stability of having your prefrontal cortex developed in your 30s. So Ahsoka's 16. <laughs> I mean, generously developed, but uh, generous of you to say that mine's developed. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, yes, I just want to give that advice to all our 16-year-old listeners. Don't talk to anyone without a lawyer ever. <laughs> I think that goes for everybody. Yeah. The other bit of that goes towards what we were talking about earlier in that Ahsoka up until the framing the uh, for Letta's murder, up until that moment, she is in a position of power. And that position of power, she's a commander in the Republic military. Mm -hmm. And that position is ripped from her instantaneously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as you were saying with Rousseau, power separates us. The power is the only thing that separated her from being anything. And as soon as that power is taken away, because it's part of a bureaucratic institution, it is gone. Yeah, I think that was one of the great frustrations as a viewer with this arc, right? Because Ahsoka is such an unexpected person to villainize. She is the audience stand-in. Yeah. She is a top three Clone Wars character. She's way at the top of Baywatch, right? I mean, Ahsoka is number one on Baywatch, and she's Dave Filoni's favorite, and she's 16, and she's a sympathetic character, and we've watched her grow up and level up and become someone who is very close to feeling like a more full-fledged Jedi Knight, right? Yeah. She's not ready to conclude her Padawan training, but she's getting there. She has fomented a rebellion. She's been, you know, she's been in a hundred situations that called for her heroism, including at the beginning of Sabotage, mm -hmm. when she rescues her unconscious Jedi Master from a crash landing fighter. Yeah. And it's very tough to see her become the punching bag. It's incredibly tough, and that's kind of the point of this arc, is to pit you against your better judgment. But also, it's the same as in The Fugitive and the Hitchcock films, where it's someone who's been falsely accused, and how that is such a deeply strong trope. I know, it makes for this really palpable tension for the audience, where mm -hmm. you're like, you're like clenching your fists and you're like, you've got the wrong person. And you also are with Ahsoka and saying, what would you do in that situation? Because mm. if she sat there, she was throwing herself at the mercy of the Republic military now, because that was when it changed for her. It went from being a Jedi thing to being a Republic military thing after someone killed those clones. I think it is extremely telling that we never see the faces of the clone guards, including Commander Fox, in the entire military prison scene. Yeah. No one takes their helmets off. It makes, the, uh, it makes them these anonymous, almost dehumanized stand-ins for Republic might. And that's kind of the point of having armor like that, of having the faceless waves of armor is it is intimidating, which is what makes it so funny at the beginning of the Clone Wars, because you can't intimidate droids. But <laughs> yeah, totally. But it 
felt to me like we were beginning to get much more overt feelings that not every clone defers to Ahsoka, not every clone mm-hmm. cares about you, not every clone can be trusted to have your well-being at the in mind. I think Anakin actually makes that point when he shows up and is trying to get in and the clones are not letting him assert that authority. Yeah. His hand is twitching towards his lightsaber and they turn on their staffs and they're like, yeah, you're going to have to go now. And he is so angry, but it does show that despite being a general, he can't go in and, and question her. It's so wildly different because the last time we really saw Anakin interacting with clones was in the very first part of the Umbara arc. Oh, wow. Yeah. When he's leading the clone forces against the Umbaran army and he is this beloved general. He is obeyed unquestioningly. He's got these loyal troops with him. He's in his, this is his MO, right? He's in his happy spot. And then all of a sudden, the next time we see him is right there in the Jedi who knew too much. And it's like, he's talking against this wall of Republic Mm -hmm. military might that does not care. Another, so there's a few interesting points there. One of them is that uh, the second time he comes back to the prison, Rex is with him. Mm -hmm. And we get to see a very cool scene of Rex next to Fox. Mm -hmm. And they look so different. They really do. Because Rex's armor is like, you know, sharpied up with kill counts. It's got damage on it and like awards. And Fox's is very ornate, but also very clean. Well, and if we're thinking about classic film techniques also, Mm -hmm. Rex is in basically white armor, a white knight. And Fox is in red and black Sith colors. It's like light versus dark. Mm-hmm. The person who's asserting Ahsoka's innocence versus the person who's convinced that she is guilty, that she's this patsy and he believes it. Yeah. And that's what Rex says. He acts as a character witness and says Ahsoka, Commander Tana would never do this. He is the only person who has the credibility and the wherewithal to really stand up for Ahsoka. I mean, Anakin says over and over again, I want her alive, keep mm-hmm. her alive. But he's not on the comms saying, that's my Padawan and she would never do that. She's a war hero. Yeah. Anakin and s- Anakin fails Ahsoka. He fails in two ways. Uh, continuing on that clone line, we also get to see Oddball. Uh, Oddball's been in a lot of comms chatter we rarely see his face because he wears a clone pilot's helmet but he's anakin's go-to pilot and he is the one who shows up and boxes ahsoka in and he says gotcha like he he's the one who flies up in her face and makes her turn around and then she's surrounded which is a weird interaction it is but i also want to bring to mind that anakin is a jedi warrior he is extremely powerful. He can't catch up with Ahsoka. He is moving at the speed of a clone. And I find that so interesting because Ahsoka is able to outrun the, the clones. She's able to make her way here. And Anakin is always two steps behind. Hmm. And he eventually does track her down. And there's a few interesting moments where right at the beginning of the temple bombing, Anakin says, I can still hear their screams as if he is feeling, sensing the force energy of all those who died in the blast. And then he follows her like a like a bloodhound or perhaps intuitively, but he seems to be following the force at this moment more than actually just using his raw physicality to catch up with her because he could definitely catch up with her, I feel. I would imagine that the force is 
not only clouded in this moment by the deaths of all of these Jedi, but probably intentionally clouded by the Sith forces working against the Jedi. Yeah. So I would imagine that all of the Jedi, especially the Jedi Council, are feeling that same reverberation of pain and death mm-hmm. in the Force. And that it probably is making it much more difficult for them to sense betrayal, for them to know who could be the cause of this. Like, I think that is very intentional. You and I were having a conversation yesterday about the pressure of society and how um, I brought up the point that it seems like particularly the this year's crop of mass shootings is practically a, a release valve for the pressures that are brought on to people because there's no way out and looking at what Jakar and Leta are doing, it seems like they think that that's the only way out. And for them, it is. The idea of having no way out is also what led Ahsoka to recognize that there is no justice system that would exonerate her. Mm. And so these structures, which are being built in place, these hierarchies are the core thing which are separating people and i think tarkin is the one who buries the lead on that because he says the the chancellor is trying to remove the jedi from all the positions of power in the Mm -hmm. military i would say that i think i finally figured out why there are so many parallels between the clone wars happenings and what feels like our reality in 2022 Mm -hmm. and i think it's because the clone wars especially The Clone Wars premiered in 2008, right? So we had the Great Recession. Yeah, I was there. (laughs) I was also there. We had the Great Recession, and then we had all kinds of horrific happenings on a social and economic scale that served to scupper public sentiment. Mm -hmm. And we are now in almost the exact same place in 2021 and 2022 where public sentiment and public optimism about the future is at a dramatic low. So I think the Clone Wars screenwriters and animators and artists and the entire Clone Wars team was operating in the same headspace that we're living in now. And all of their plot lines mimic kind of our shared realities. If anything, it's more extreme these days because looking back to the late, Adi's early teens, you have the rise of the idea of like completely false and debunked idea of crisis actors and school shootings and things like that, which is trying to increase that societal pressure. It's it's the the word for it is stochastic terrorism. Mm. And that type of thing is what this rumor mongering is mm. that makes the Jedi and makes these anti-war protesters pointed out to be the bad guy when in reality the reason for all the social problems is chancellor palpatine totally absolutely of course who started this bloody war who started this terrible thing that's affecting people so deeply and negatively but it's also and and we see palpatine at the funeral and he's flanked by Massimetta, his major demo. He's wearing his beautiful, you know, Zabraxian silk robes or whatever. And he's 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 not like sitting there sinisterly smiling. But the fact that he is there is such an interesting take. This combination of power, this culmination of power into one thing shows how easily it's perverted. Yeah. So 
I think we're living through some really dark days for the Republic, and I think it feels like we're living through some really dark days for the American Republic. Mm -hmm. And it obviously we all wish we lived in peaceful times. Yeah. So I'm not saying that this gives me a measure of comfort, but it does it does help me realize that people have lived in dark times before yes. in recent memory and people have been affected by that and they have channeled it into art that is now meaningful to us more than a decade later. That's a very good and inspiring read. Thank you. I do have to ask before we do anything else, would you have turned yourself in or kept running? I would have kept running. Yeah. I was with Ahsoka. I hear you on the law enforcement thing and I'm filing that away for future reference for future Anna, yeah. but I would have kept running. I, uh, I've made friends with lawyers. They're not like on retainer or anything, but if the cops pull me over, I'm like, I got two lawyers. One of them I play D and D with. I will. The other one is a bulldog. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll get you. <laughs> I've been arrested a few times. I, d I don't wish to repeat the experience. Yeah. Fair. Especially when the, the clones and like commander Fox, he says to her, we we know why you killed Letta, but. I have to arrest you anyway. Like, I don't blame you, but you're still under arrest. And that shows that the clones themselves think that they're above the law. Mm -hmm. I think so. If they assign motive to it, that is where the uh, that is where the corruption comes in. I think in a policing body. I think it was another layer of the clones who used to defer to Ahsoka and believe in her and trust in her as their commander. There's not even a shred of evidence yeah. that she's not what they think she is. Yeah, which is a traitor. Yeah. Oh. Uh, one more thing: the CSI scene where Russo and Ahsoka are in this room and it's like fully holographically mapped and they're charting back to the original uh, point of the explosion. Oh my God, so beautiful. That's our cover art for the episode. It is. It's so cool to watch like someone look through an explosion and like explode it out and explode it back in. We've seen this later uh, in television. It's like now there's all sorts of crazy technology and people have very cool holograms in front of them. Watching it in Star Wars is somehow more magical. And I think that was just really cool. I, I got a soft spot for these uh, these crime procedural episodes of the Clone Wars. They're fun. Absolutely. Me too. Um, that scene was so visually beautiful. It was one of my favorite visuals of the entire Clone Wars. We've got like ambush, the unnamed, the planes of the unnamed moon. And mm -hmm. we've got like this explosion playback and play forward scene. Favorite. Yeah. So it is time to determine... Who runs, who guns, who lives, who dies. It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch, Baywatch, Baywatch. I mean, I have my bay. Do you have your bay? 50-50. 50-50. I'm 100%. Okay. I will bet you all the money in my wallet that your bay is Ahsoka. It is not Ahsoka. I will take all $5 in your wallet. There's like 50 bucks in there. I will take it for laundry quarters. My bay is Captain Rex. Really? Rex is the only one who stood up for Ahsoka, mm -hmm. who had the credibility of being by her side as she became a war hero mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at 16, who had the secondary credibility of being a fellow clone to Commander Fox mm -hmm. and saying, I know Commander Tano, and she would never do this. Yeah. 
Those words never come out of Anakin's mouth. They do not. Which is bizarre and honestly hurtful. Yes. And that is why Rex is my bae. Yeah. And that is also at the very end when Ahsoka and Anakin are talking to each other. Anakin never really says, I know you didn't do this. And he never says that he's sorry. Yeah. He is so unpresent in her life at this pivotal moment. Anakin is so bad. Anakin is so bad. God, I don't understand Anakin stands. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to call them Stanikins now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that. And I never have been. And now I'm convinced I never will be. That's fair. So that's my bay. I feel good about this. Who's your bay? I'm going to go with Russo ISC. Really? Yeah. You just love CSI Miami. I've literally never seen an episode. <laughs> but I love, there's a moment where, so when we first meet Russo, he's like, I don't think that you guys should come with me because there's a lot of negative sentiment towards the Jedi because of the rumors flying around. He's totally right. And Anakin is like, I'm overriding you. I'm countermanding you. Take Ahsoka with you. He's like, fair enough. He is so calm and collected. And then Anakin keeps barging in and like amping up the emotional tenor of the situation. He finally gets to the point where he says, okay, I'm just going to determine if there's any other nano droids throughout the temple. And Anakin's like, I'll get together all the Jedi. And Russo says, I have droids. They're faster. And he gets all these little baby Russo droids. They're like, they're like three quarters his size. and They don't have glasses. They're like his little family. They're his little minions. His little minions. (laughs) And they, they run around and they do the thing. They do the thing so well. And then at the end, he just phones in and is like, I have determined this. I have determined that. Here's my findings. And the very first thing, we see when we meet him, he says, uh, only through investigation and evidence will we find the truth. And I think that that's, it's it's intriguing to me. We've seen that there's like RoboCops on Coruscant. Yeah, in the totally. Past, and I think that that is something that I kind of love is the idea of a robotic cop. Because More they, impartial law enforcement, impartial justice. Very much so, because like all professions, uh, for example, Jedi, when you, you get really insular and you get really protective of people within your own profession, you say, oh, another Jedi would never do this. And Anakin's like, well, except for Ponkrell and Count Dooku. And he's right. He's right. But a droid would be like, boy, I sure can totally imagine another droid doing this if they got their wires crossed or whatever. They they are so impartial. So mm. um, for a while... Before COVID, I was in the process of becoming a droid separatist. And (laughs) then after COVID, I've doubled down. And I want to cleanse myself of my feeble meatbag body and just throw myself at the altar of cybernetics. I love how impartial a droid could be in that situation. And I think that having a tool like that for policing and law enforcement is a really powerful idea. That said, I do understand very clearly all of these sci-fi warnings we have gotten well, forever about why the, it's maybe not the best the idea. The real problem is that as it stands in our universe, every intelligence, artificial or otherwise, is programmed by fallible meatbags. Yeah. yeah. And so we have policing, robotic policing that is programmed by 
white Silicon Valley males. And it's problematic for those reasons, the facial recognition, the implicit biases within the system. Aiming to remove these implicit biases is something that a droid should be able to do. And I think that that is like the highest calling of a droid is to be a cop or to be a jokester like R2. (laughs) Fascinating. I will say I love that you named Russo your bae because I thought one of the most successful parts of this episode, this arc, was that feeling that nobody can be trusted. Mm -hmm. So when Russo pops up in the hangar wreckage and says, Mace Windu tasked me to be the lead investigator, I was like, oh, this dude is not to be trusted. This guy could be planted by the terrorists to lead them astray. And all of his, like impartial effectiveness, his efficacy. I was like, oh my God, he's leading them astray. They're never going to find the person. He's intentionally clouding the situation. He's destroying evidence. So when he turned out to be the most effective part of the investigation team, I was like, you go, Russo. I was wrong about you. I apologize. We're setting him some ram sticks right now. For a gift. Yeah. It is what he deserves. I I don't know if they're snacks or what, but... (laughs) He can throw them to the minions. <laughs> and they're just like, ah! <laughs> so we left it on a literal and figurative cliffhanger. Oh my God, we did! Next week, we are finishing up season five of The Clone Wars. We are covering. To Catch a Jedi, Season 5, Episode 19 also of The Clone Hitchcock Wars. Reference. And The Wrong Jedi. Also a Hitchcock reference. You got The Wrong Jedi. Yeah. So very dark place we're in right now. I was going to say, I'm starting to develop a spidey sense for Clone Wars arcs and where they're going. Mm-hmm. And when we front-loaded Sabotage with so much great banter and so much joy... I was like, oh, this is way too delightful to not have an absolutely atrocious twist. (laughs) Like, we are having too much fun. We do not get to have nice things in the Clone Wars. Like, Uh, I knew we were filling up our fun time reservoir so that something heinous could happen. We gotta, we just gotta hold out a little bit longer and we'll get some Jar Jar episodes. Okay, thank God. Thank God, I need it. I'm ready. Dave Filoni, give me some Jar Jar. Give me some more D-Squad. Give me R2 and 3PO messing around. Please, anything. Uh, So as always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your social media, wherever we are, you can find us there. Wherever we are, we are there. Yep. And so are you. And so are you if you're there with us. Make sure to like and follow us on all of your podcast platform apps. You can also find us on www.growingupskywalker.com. That is our website. That is where we put all of our Baywatch power rankings and other fun content. And if you want more Skywalker, you can become one of our patrons. Uh, Memberships start as low as $3 a month, and we release bonus content every Thursday. And send this to someone else who's ready to shuffle off their frail meatbag coil. (laughs) It me. Or... Someone who's been accused of something they didn't do. Hashtag Ahsoka Tano. (laughs) And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.